of it, what happens? You start to realize that God brings comfort. Now, don't get me wrong, and this is real, isn't it? I've always said that I wish that God could teach me the biggest lessons without the biggest heartaches, but it's never the case. So, God takes the worst things, and His comfort transforms the worst things. In today's message, Pastor Daniel is exploring what it means when Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We don't often think of mourning as a blessing. If you've ever lost someone you love, you know it's a time of deep grief and loss. But Jesus said that you are blessed. How can that be? It's possible because our God is a comforter. And when God enters your difficult situations, he ends up transforming you. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Psalms chapter 30 as he continues his message, The Beauty of Joy. It shows a hardness of heart if we no longer feel anything. And I'll be honest with you, as I'm even saying that, I'm aware of my own heart hardness. I'm not like burying my head in the sand and not trying to be aware of what's going on, you know, and it's like I'm inundated every day with another set of stories of another set of tragedies. And there's all these images. And, you know, like if you go on news outlets and their websites, it's like there's so many graphic videos that if you don't not watch those things, we're getting used to seeing people's lives being taken and blood and gore, not just in movies, but in real time, real people. And the poverty that we see no longer is moving us to true feelings of mourning. And mourning is a powerful emotion. And God wants to do a work in us to keep our hearts soft, even though we are inundated by poverty. Now, I think what's important is, if you recall in the last message, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So entrance into God's kingdom begins with an awareness of our spiritual bankruptcy. And I made the point a lot that if we forget where we've come from, we'll not be able to love people going forward. Like if we forget where we've been, then when we look at someone whose life is busted and broken and mangled, we can't love them because we've taken a position of pride. And so we look down upon them. But there's an old saying that you hear in church that we should love the sinner and hate the sin. How many of you guys have heard that? Amen. How many of you believe that? You should believe that. But I want to take it a step further in regards to this beatitude. What if maybe the better step is that you love the sinner and you hate your sin? Do you see how that changes it now? You're not saying, I love everybody and I hate what they do. I love everybody and I hate what I do. Because what it does is if you take that, if you say, My job is to love people and I'm going to do battle against my own brokenness. Then as God works in our lives, now all of a sudden things begin to change because now as God's transforming our lives, we become transformational agents in other people's lives because we're doing battle against our own stuff. And really, 
Jesus's way of transforming the world is transforming one person at a time. See, society changes because large numbers of people change and that movement of transformation changes society. If you read about any revival that has ever happened in any country, bars close down, not because they start to picket bars, but because there is so much less people wanting to drink alcohol. Because when you're in the middle of the presence of God, that doesn't even seem like something that sounds like all that much fun. Because God is changing your life. See, we look at a world, you realize like we have all sorts of problems, whether we look at pornography or sex trafficking. You realize that there was no people willing to pay for sex with another person, there'd be no sex trafficking industry. You realize that. So yes, we try and eradicate people from sexual slavery, absolutely. But at the same time, we realize that because there is a demand, somebody in a fallen world will fulfill the supply. And they'll use all sorts of evil ways to do that. But it reminds you that you have to look at your life. What does your desires, what is it driving in this world? And so this idea that happy is the person who mourns, the idea now is that our spiritual poverty, because we're fighting against the hardness of heart, now all of a sudden it causes a true emotional response of grief in our own hearts. And it reminds me of Psalm chapter 30, verses 4 and 5. It says, sing praises to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, you see how this works now? Because listen, not only does our poverty leave us to mourning, it's not about God wants you to be sad and grief-stricken all the time, but God then comforts the brokenhearted. Because that's what it says. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So the first step is our poverty leads to mourning. Now the second step is God comforts the brokenhearted. So, God doesn't want you to stay stuck in mourning because mourning leads to comfort. Do you see how that works? And this is how God begins to leverage. This is how he leverages the brokenness of the world because it begins with a soft heart that is broken for what we see and then it drives us into the arms of the Lord and then the Lord brings comfort to the people whose hearts are broken. And this is how God can redeem even the most horrific situations. He doesn't need the horrific situations to bring comfort, but once mourning happens, happy, oh, how fortunate is the person whose heart is soft that mourns at the brokenness of the world, and then God comes and he comforts the brokenhearted. And for many of us who walk through tragedy, severe tragedies, If you walk with the Lord in the midst of it, what happens? You start to realize that God brings comfort. Now, don't get me wrong. And this is real, isn't it? I've always said that I wish that God could teach me the biggest lessons without the biggest heartaches. But it's never the case. So God takes the worst things and his comfort transforms the worst things. See, if you think about it, The greatest tragedy in history was the cross of Jesus Christ. 
And God also leveraged it to become the greatest triumph in history. Although the disciples wept at the death of Jesus, the joy was unspeakable at the resurrection. I think for some of us hearing this right now, you're stuck on step one. And I think you're here today because God wants to take you to the second step. Some of us are still living in the tragedy. And even though God is seeking to comfort you, you're unwilling to let him right now. And I feel safe saying that because when my mother passed away, I was in that spot. Where God was seeking to do a restorative and a resurrection work in my life, but I was unwilling because I was still so hurt. See, God's a great physician. He's a good doctor. And really what God wants to do is a good doctor doesn't impose himself on you. He says, this is the treatment that I would like to give you. Will you allow me to do it? I just went to the doctor the other day. I was talking about not going to the doctor last week and was convicted about that because I knew I needed to go. And the doctor was like, well, this is what I want to do. Does that sound good? And I'm like, well, is there any other way? And he's like, no, this is pretty much the way to do that. And I'm like, okay, you know? And I think for some of us right now, it's like, I think for some of you, for the folks who are hearing this, who this is you right now, you know that God's trying to comfort you. He's bringing people around you who care about you. Who want to help you? You're hearing the word right now. And there's that part of you that's like, yeah, I totally need this. God wants to comfort you. See, God's comfort doesn't change the tragedy. He changes you through the tragedy. Like, I remember when my mother passed away, someone said, Daniel, listen, you know, time heals all wounds. Don't ever say that to somebody. Can I just tell you that? Because time doesn't heal all wounds. Time makes those wounds feel normal. Jesus heals wounds. Does that make sense? You just, like, you got hurt. Like, time makes that wound not be like, man, that's a fresh one. You know what I mean? Like, look at that, man. That thing's still mangled. It's like the scar tissue grows over time. But time doesn't heal it. Time just makes that wound like, oh, yeah, I remember when I got that back in the day. But Jesus heals. And what Jesus does, he doesn't undo what's been done. He takes what's happened and he works it in his infinite wisdom to comfort you in the midst of it that now that scar is a testimony that God heals and now God can use you because of the wound because God's comfort in your life and you now comfort others with. That's what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that we comfort others with the comfort we've received. So there's nothing more beautiful than somebody who was an addict who now serves in Renew to help other people walk through those addictions. There's nothing more beautiful than somebody who's lost a loved one who is now a leader in grief share. Right? There's nothing more beautiful than somebody who's been lost, who loves somebody enough to share the good news with them and walks with them through that whole process of coming to Jesus and that whole process of learning how to follow Jesus. See, that's how it works. But you don't have the ability to be empathetic with someone in the same way unless you've walked there and God has met you. See, I was just talking to someone recently who their family upbringing was in what we would consider to be a cult. And 
in leaving this, their family shuns them. And we always try and connect them with somebody who's been down that road. Who's come out of a similar background because they understand the journey. But that's how God redeems tragedy. That's how he redeems brokenness. And of course, in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 3, and I read this when we started talking about these Beatitudes, because remember, Jesus quoted this passage at the beginning of his ministry before he gave the Beatitudes. So Isaiah 61 says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. You see how it all fits together now? See, through the tragedy, God intervenes and brings comfort. So that comfort now leads to an outcome that we wouldn't expect. Now before I leave this idea that God comforts the brokenhearted, listen to Revelation 21 verses 3 and 4. It says this, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. See, we're experiencing a foretaste of that, a precursor to that right now as we're in Christ, knowing that when Jesus returns, at that point, he's going to set everything right. But if you're here today and you're in Christ, you're experiencing the first fruits of this in your own life. Because even though life is hard, even though things go wrong, even though things are messed up and you're messed up, God is comforting you in the midst of all of it. He's wiping away those tears from your eyes. And the key for us is to make sure that we do not let our hearts get hard in the midst of so much brokenness. And isn't it true? It's not hard. It's hard to do. But Jesus loves us enough that when there's these areas of hardness, he says, oh, I'm going to pour my, just like a, a hard sponge, I'm going to pour the water of my spirit on your heart and soften it. I think for a lot of us right now, God's trying to soften your heart again. Really for all of us. Because let's be honest, there's like, for many of us, there's soft areas of our hearts and there's hard areas of our hearts. Like your heart's so soft to your grandkids and kind of hard to your spouse, right? Or your heart is so soft to Jesus, but it's not really to your dog. You know what I mean? Or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like there's these areas where God's trying to do a fresh work. So blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be coming. Our poverty leads us to mourning. Our mourning leads us to Jesus, and Jesus brings comfort. And then to put these things together, of course, the fruit of comfort is joy. 
The fruit of comfort is joy. Because remember, we're taking the Beatitudes and we're putting them with the fruit of the Spirit. We're putting them together. So remember, it was blessed are those who mourn, right? For they shall be comforted. And the fruit of the Spirit is what? Is joy. So here's the deal with joy. As the fruit of the Spirit, as we suffer and we, as we mourn, God comforts. And the fruit of comfort now is joy. Now, here's the thing. Our culture is focused on happiness, and I don't think it's a bad thing. Because let's be honest. Sometimes you go to church, and the pastor will kind of bag on happiness as if it's a bad thing. I mean, if you only get one shot to live today, right? Might as well make it a happy one. Like McDonald's didn't come up with the sad meal. Can you imagine going in, I want the sad meal. Ain't billions and billions of burgers going to be sold that way. Right? It's like it's a happy meal. Because the, the burger's supposed to make you happy. Right? So the focus on happiness is not wrong. But the problem with our culture is that our idea of happiness in our culture is circumstantial. And in a world full of social media and everything else, where everybody is weighing their life against somebody else, right? Now all of a sudden you look at it and even if something wonderful happens, your happiness is fleeting because it's weighed against somebody else. Like, like all of a sudden you're like, I've been needing a new car. I've been needing a new car. And so you get like a new used car. And then all of a sudden your neighbor drives up in a new car and then they put out that car that's a hybrid and you're environmentally conscious. And then you're like, oh no, you know, and then my car that I was so happy about, no, I'm not happy about, right? And all this stuff goes on. You're like, you know, all I want to do is get married. And then you get married. And then someone else married. But their marriage looks better than yours. And you want to have kids. And you have a baby. And you're like, this is so awesome. But then your friend has twins. And even though they're dying because they have twins. You know what I mean? You're like, they have two. And I got one. And it's just a mess. And what it is is our ideas of happiness are not born in the right places. But what I will tell you is that if you... Let poverty lead to mourning, and then God comforts you in the midst of that mourning. The fruit of God's comfort is joy, because it's not circumstantial anymore. It's a disposition of the heart that trusts that God has this. And that's why it says in Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, here's the deal, my friends. God is the most joyful person you will ever meet. You will not meet a more joyful person. See, our culture, we love funny people. But it's amazing how many funny people are only funny on stage. You know, we hear all these horrible stories about these entertainers who are amazing at what they do, but they're miserable on the inside. So they can make you laugh on the outside, but it's not coming from a place where they really feel true joy on the inside. And what God wants to bestow upon anybody who would believe in Jesus, he said, look, life's messed up. You're broken. So's the world. It leads you to mourning. I'm going to comfort you in the midst of it. And my comfort in your life is going to tap you into who I am and what I'm about. And now all of a sudden, God's infinite, insurmountable joy strengthens us. And that changes everything, doesn't it? Because now you and I can tap into a reality that goes beyond the circumstance we find ourselves in. 
we have the opportunity to live a life that is unique compared to just what you get. And that, my friends, is the life that Jesus offers. Now, there's a great definition of joy that I want to give you. It's a Sunday school definition. Our kids know it. And as adults, we know it, but we forget it. So what's the definition of joy? J-O-Y. Joy. Jesus, others, yourself. See, the problem with pursuing happiness the way our culture tells us is our culture flips it in the exact opposite way. It's you, then others, then Jesus. Right? Our culture says, you need to do you. And if you have any room left for anybody else, which guess what? When you do you and only you, you have no room in your life for anybody else. Everybody is a commodity that you use for you. That's how it works. Because the self, the flesh, is never satisfied. So everyone now exists to serve you. And because there's no room for anyone else except you, you never get to the others. And you definitely don't want to go to Jesus because Jesus is like, well, if you want to find happiness, you need to die to yourself. And at that point, you're like, die to myself. I'm trying to live for myself. But don't miss the fact that our culture is one of the most statistically unhappy cultures that's ever lived. If you don't believe me, just read the psychological research. There is research coming out day in and day out from the best minds in Ivy League schools that our culture is radically unhappy. We have more access to information, knowledge, food, comfort than has ever existed in the history of mankind. And our culture is unhappy. Why? Because we are not following God's way to joy. And God's way to joy is you put Jesus first. And listen, when you understand the brokenness of the world and your own spiritual bankruptcy and you mourn and then he comforts you, then you're like, I'm going to hang, I'm going to roll with Jesus. And then Jesus is like, hey, guess what? I want you to love other people, right? And so now all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, if you want to love me, you can love me by loving other people. And then you come in last place, but don't miss this is upward, outward, and inward. Which Jesus talked about in his greatest commandment, which I wrote into that book, Upward, Inward, and Outward. Why? Because life is lived in three directions at all times. But when Jesus gave the greatest commandment, he didn't say, love yourself like your life depended on. If you got time, love your neighbor and then maybe love God. That's what our culture says. Jesus says, no, you live upward and God's love for you changes the way you see yourself, which changes the way you live in the world. And if you want to know how to experience joy, you need to put Jesus first place in your life. And then Jesus, as he's first place, will say, you know what? You don't just live for you. I've blessed you so that you can be a blessing. Jesus is real. Poverty leads to mourning, and then God comforts the brokenhearted. This is how God can redeem even the most horrific situations. In today's message, Pastor Daniel showed us how mourning and joy go hand in hand. We see countless pictures of suffering in our daily lives, and the sheer overwhelm can cause our hearts to harden. Ask God to soften your heart today, to break your heart for what breaks His heart. 
everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore His people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share the answer to the question that plagues us all. Am I enough? This question fuels the bulk of our insecurities, and it's a question that everyone asks. The truth is, none of us is enough, but that's why we believe in Jesus, because he is enough, and he came to die in your place and be resurrected. The Holy Spirit will indwell you and show you that Jesus is enough. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Beautiful. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.